Um, I feel like God has given me a message this morning. Uh, probably, um, maybe not the message that some of us might expect, but nevertheless, I think appropriate given the last uh, seven to eight months that we've been through, not just as a church, but as a country uh, with COVID and everything. And I, I feel like the Lord wants us to address the issue of fear. Um, for many reasons, I, I'm sure we can already fill in the blank what those reasons are, uh, but I think he wants to assure us that he's with us, and, and I think he wants to, if we could kind of get above all the noise, right, and, and all the clutter of what's on our news feeds and what's been in the media and what the CDC is saying and all these different things, if we can get above that and actually hear God's voice, I believe he would say, I am with you. I have not forsaken you. Do not fear. You know, two words in the Bible, they appear 365 times in Scripture. That is fear not. It's like, my wife was like, that's like a fear not verse for every day of the year. I'm like, why not? I mean, I could certainly use it these last seven to eight months. Sounds like a good thing to me. But this uh, these two words, excuse me, are kind of pervasive when you think about the length and the scope of Scripture. They're, they're kind of all throughout, right? I mean, it, maybe it's an angel of the Lord, right, coming to Mary and saying, hey, fear not, you know, uh, for you are highly favored. And by the way, you're going to conceive the Son of God. Uh, <laughs> that would kind of strike a sense of fear in my heart. Or, or the prophet coming to the nation of Israel. Maybe, uh, maybe they were um, in danger of going into war. And the prophet spoke. He said, listen, you can win this battle. Fear not, for the Lord is with you. All throughout scripture, angels, prophets, and shepherds have used these two words to bring a sense of comfort to the people of God in seasons of turmoil and uncertainty. I think we can relate a bit in this season. I think we could use as a church, not just Hilltop Church, but the church, the big church, to hear the Father say, fear not, guys. You know, well, we won't get sidetracked here, but that's what I pretty much want to address this morning. Um, you know, other than fearing the Lord, right? I mean, we know that Jesus taught us the apostles taught us that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. We should have a healthy fear of God. But that is to the extent, or may I say the only person we should ever fear, or only thing we should ever fear. Um, God has also declared in his scripture that we have not been given what? The spirit of fear. But what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I can imagine that not many of us have felt all that powerful during this season. I, I, I personally just throw my own experience um, out there and say, if this season has highlighted and unearthed anything in my heart and in my life is the fact of just how powerless I am as a human being and how great and sovereign and in control of all things God is, and that's important for us as believers in this world, not of this world, but in this world, to know and to understand, right? Because there is a false kind of veneer and sense that we get through just being 
a person in this world a false sense of comfort, right, in peace. I mean, I walk into my house, my house, not my house, but my house at the end of the day, and I feel a sense of comfort and peace. But yet, that is just a feeling that can be taken away at any moment by any set of circumstances. I, I feel a sense of comfort and peace with where my health is at. But how many know that can change at any moment, at any time, like that? It's, it's, it's good that we feel it. It's good that we have it. But it can change in the blink of an eye. My finances, etc., etc. There's this false sense that we get by just being people in this world of like, oh, things are good. Things are comfortable. We're, they, they, things are peaceful. But how many know those things can change in the blink of an eye? And that's why our peace needs to come from God and not the things of this world. But I think... If I was to just put my own experience with uh, these last eight to seven months, some of the feelings that I've had tracking through and dealing with the um, outcome of COVID-19, as I can honestly say before you, I have felt very powerless, powerless as a pastor. <laughs> How do we do this thing, God? I don't know. I don't, what's the answer for us to gather? What's the answer, God, for us to ensure and 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 convey that we care about the safety of people and we want to be responsible but obviously we don't want to neglect what scripture commands us to do and that's to gather i felt powerless um, through certain loved ones and, and people who are close to me who've actually got the virus what do i do you know but obviously pray for them right but there, there's this sense of like god i feel the emptiness i feel the limitation of my flesh in the season, I cannot bring about an answer, therefore I look to you. So I don't know how many of us have really been able to really capture and really, um, I don't know, just connect with the spirit of power that the scripture says we have within us, but yet we do. I don't know how many of you have had um, trouble in acting somewhat sensible, you know, and somewhat rational and logic. Not logical, that's not a word, but you've, you've used logic and poise and, and, and you've been more led by the Spirit than you have your panic and your fear. I can say, honestly, I've had my, my times when I just don't know if I have been sensible and if I have been relying upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit or just my own panic and fear. And I, and I can say, honestly, as a pastor, I've seen that in some of the lives of our community. We're in marriages and in relationships. They're falling apart because we've lost our sensibility. We've lost our sense of peace and calm in the midst of uncertain times. I heard this statement some years ago. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it theologically without really explaining it, but... When it's explained right, I think theologically it makes sense. And this statement has been, uh, has been made throughout the years. is that the presence of fear is due to the absence of faith. Let me say that again. The presence of fear is due to the absence of faith. Now that's a theological kind of, you know, it, it, you, get, you can get tripped up real easy if you don't really explain what kind of faith you're, you're meaning, right? And so when I say faith... It's just the belief that God is with me, and not just with me, but for me, and not against me. That's, that's the faith that I'm injecting here into that statement. And how many know 
that it takes faith to believe that. Because you don't always feel that, especially in the set of circumstances that we have today with the pandemic. And there's, there's a list of other things that have happened. 2020 has just been an absolute, like, can we hit delete already? But, but it takes the kind of faith in seasons like we're in to believe that regardless of the outside circumstances and situations, that God has not left us. He has not forsaken us. And I'm not just speaking to this church. I'm speaking to the church, the people of God, anybody who's listening. God has not forsaken us. He has not left us. He is with us in the circumstances that we are facing. Do not dictate that. They do not change. That is a reality, period. It's done. When the Son of God makes such a statement, I will never leave you nor forsake you, or I will be with you unto the very end, friends. That's a statement that you can take to the bank. You, you can deposit that thing. It is going to come back uh, with some kind of, uh, um, not investment, but some kind of you know, wealth or whatever. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. You can take it. You can be sure that he says what he says, and he means what he says, and he'll do what he says. So God is for us. This is the kind of faith that we need in this season. When our backs are up against the wall, when we don't really know like how to move forward. I'm telling you, this, is, this service alone has been somewhat of an act of faith. You know, you have part of the body of Christ saying, it's not a big deal. Let's just open it up. No mass. Let's go for it, man. I mean, we're the people of God. And I love that zeal. And then you have the other body of Christ. Part of the body of Christ are like, no mask. And we've got to be really careful. And I love that caution, that wisdom. But it takes a lot of faith to move forward, a lot of trusting in God. And I think, not just as a pastor, but as a congregation, we need this kind of faith. A faith that can trust God, a faith that believes intuitively that God is for us, not against us. And the circumstances that we're facing currently do not change that. Come on, how many of us need that? The, the, the common response when things are hard, right, when things aren't quite going right in our marriages, let me just make it personal. Uh, when things aren't quite going right in our relationships, in our friendships, in our finances, I, I don't know about you, but the common response that I have is like, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Like, what is going on with my finances? Lord, why am I looking at red? You know, I want to be looking at black here. And then he lovingly reveals everything that you spent that month. And he's like, that's why you're in the red, stupid. But, but you get what I'm saying. The natural response to when things get hard is that, you know, God has just left the building. He's gone. And this is common. I mean, Psalms 22, David, the psalmist, got into a pinch in his life. He got into many pinches, but there was one hard place that he got to. And he uttered these very words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The natural common response. And when we feel like things are hard, oh, surely God has left. Surely God has abandoned us. Jesus himself, the son of God. We know the story. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When things are going wrong, when things get hard, we often ask the question, God, why have you forsaken us? Feeling abandoned can leave us with a sense with a fear, the outcome of that. You know, I, I don't know what to do, God. I so rely upon you in this. And that's rightfully so. We should rely upon God. 
But, but, but when we can't really pinpoint the way and the direction that God is leading us, the reaction is, you've abandoned us, and now I'm fearful. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Anybody have any of those moments? You're just like, I, 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 used, to, I used to put it all there, and I don't have that anymore, and I am sweating bullets fear, with fear. It's a common response. And then there's also the response that um, uncertainty triggers. The fear of the unknown. And I'm sure this is probably exactly where we're at when we're thinking about regathering and rebuilding. What's to come? Like, you know, are we really going to be able to do this well? And, and really ensure that people aren't going to... Um, you know, get sick, and we're not, we're going to do this responsibly, and not foolishly, like, like, that's a legitimate fear of mine, I don't know what's going to happen, I'm trusting in God, but yet I'm like, you know, there's a lot of ifs here, God, and, and I don't really know what to do, uncertainty breeds fear, let me tell you a quick little funny story, um, to kind of explain this a bit, my first time flying, I was a little bit late to the flying game. I'm sorry if these chairs are uncomfortable. I'm sure they are. So I'm going to try to make this a little quick. But um, I was a little late to the flying game. What I mean by that is I didn't take my first flight until I was about 18, 19 years old. I know. For some of you who are, like, seasoned, like, in traveling, I, it's, listen, I grew up poor. The last thing we were worried about is going to another part of the country. We just wanted to know that there's going to be food on the table. And so we weren't really concerned about flying. And so it was late in life that I took my first flight flight. And um, I was a little concerned. I didn't know what to expect. I heard all sorts of horror stories, right? Um, You know, some good, some not so good. And of course, I'm a, you know, I'm I'm a little panicked going into it, but I'm doing it. You know, I'm going to see my friends in Michigan. I'm going to go minister a little bit. I'm going to go hang out with some pastor friends of mine for a good two weeks. And I'm doing it. I'm in. I'm in. So I get to the airport, not really knowing what to, to, to expect and whatnot. I get there, and um, everything seems to be fine, you know, I'm, everything seems to be going at a good clip, I'm, I'm getting it, I'm, 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 I'm got to check my bags in there, get my ticket, okay, you know, take my shoes off, I'm getting through it. The, the major concern that I have is the flight itself. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, you know, I don't like the thought of being 30,000 feet in the air and not in control, okay, I'll just be honest, it doesn't, I, I, like, I know they say that flying is safer than driving, but I'm in control when I drive, you see, that's the difference, I can trust myself, I guess, to an extent that I'll, I'll be responsible and I'll drive this thing right. I don't know about that pilot, okay? I don't know. But anyways, I go into it and um, we take off. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. Every time I take off or we take off in a plane or we land in a plane, I, it, just, it never works out right for me. Meaning the pilot, one time when I flew Virgin... Uh, the, the, the pilots seem to take off really smooth and land really smooth. The other times have just been a terrible experience. But anyways, all that aside, we get into the air. We're about 30,000 feet and about a half an hour into the flight. Um, up until that half an hour, things are going smooth. Like, I'm just like, I'm like this is cool. This is flying. We're good. Now this is, we're good. It's awesome. I can do this. And about a half an hour into the flight, the plane, the plane, not the plane, but the plane starts jerking around and just, I, I mean, it, you know, you know what I'm talking about when that turbulence hits and you're just like, and, and, and everybody's like, you know, flailing around, drinks are going everywhere, people are going, oh, oh. 
And, and I'm just holding on to the arms of the chair and, and praying in tongues that this might not be my last day on earth. Okay? It gets worse. After all the, whatever that's called, when the plane's just, you know, acting crazy, suddenly it almost seems as though the motor shut off completely and the plane just starts descending down into the earth. And I know, I'm like, this isn't right, okay? There's something wrong here. And what seemed to be about an hour, which was probably only about two to three minutes, we just started descending into the ground. You even heard that sound from the and the motors. And everyone's like, I'm praying in tongues. Sorry for those who do not pray in tongues. I was praying in tongues. Uh, and I was relying upon the Holy Spirit to get me through this experience. And, and about, I would say, probably two to three minutes into this experience, the plane just starts coming back up and leveling off. There's nothing more irritating to me than when a pilot comes on the radio and says, ladies and gentlemen, after such a terrible experience, they come on all calm and like, ladies and gentlemen, we experienced some turbulence there. We're at uh, like 25,000 feet. Everything should be smooth from here. On to uh, Michigan. Uh, sit back, enjoy your peanuts. And, uh, uh, you know, what's, we're going for a good flight. You're like, what? We just shook all over the sky and the plane for like, an hour, not an hour, but, but I'm being dramatic, was like dropping out of the sky, and you come on all calm. I would like to just submit to you that I probably would have had a better reaction had I had some experience with what to expect from that flight. Nobody told me about turbulence. Nobody told me about the potential of a plane dive-bombing out of the sky. And, and, and nobody told me that after this whole thing, the pilot would be so cool and just say, ladies and gentlemen, he would just be like, nothing happened. Nobody told me this, but it would have been helpful. And such is our experiences in this life. See, we don't know what the future holds. We don't, we don't, we don't know what the dangers are. I mean, we have some sense of what, uh, um, what's in jeopardy or some of the concerns that we have going back and opening services up. But largely, the, the outcome is still unknown. And, and, and so, let me read this uh, one little quote here from, I'm sorry, I, I say this a lot. My wife actually held me accountable for this. She's like, Daryl, you quote people and you don't even, you know, you don't even cite their name. And, and, and it's true. It's because this one particular website that I like, they don't give the author's name. And so, I, I will cite the website. It's, it's uh, reference the Bible. Uh, Dot com. Uh, and again, they don't uh, cite the author here, so I apologize. But um, let me just get back to that quote. Uh, this is what the author says, and hopefully it brings a little bit more uh, clarity about what I'm trying to convey to you this morning. Experiences, our experience makes people less nervous to drive cars, endure thunderstorms, and fly planes in my case. Uh, the experiences themselves don't change. What changes is the person's expectations. They know what is happening and what will happen next. That brings confidence and greatly reduces fear and brings peace. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? it? This totally makes sense. And, and most likely will be helpful in what I am just trying to lovingly submit to you this morning and those who are watching, um, we may not 
be afforded all of those you know, experiences being clarified you know, before we go into them, kind of like this morning. We have a plan. You know, we don't know how it's going to go. We're inviting people into the space, but we're trusting God with the details, and we don't know the beginning to the end. And that's the season that we're in today. We don't necessarily know how to fill and how to answer all the questions and how to navigate through all the stuff. Trusting in God, we'll get there. But we'll hit some turbulence along the way. We'll fail along the way. But man, if we succumb to the spirit of fear, instead of having faith that God is with us, that he's for us and not against us, then we've lost a serious battle. We've lost a serious battle of the people of God. This is very biblical. Jesus himself left, excuse me, his disciples with a lot of mystery. He didn't answer every question. He didn't try to fill in the blanks to some of their concern and their fear. You take John 14, for example, without turning there for the sake of time, Jesus is about ready to leave. He's about ready to go back to the Father. And Philip and Thomas and the others start interrogating Jesus. Where are you going? What the heck? It's been three short years and you're leaving? Jesus, we've left our families, we've left our livelihoods, and now you're telling us, the commander-in-chief, you're telling us, Jesus, you're leaving? This is crazy. And Jesus tries to lovingly fill in the blanks, but you can still tell that there's a sense of mystery and kind of like, like, we don't know all the things, Jesus, that you're trying to explain to us right now. And Jesus felt no way obligated to answer those things, to be specific. But one thing he did, and the one thing that he's doing for us now, I believe, in this season. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this when he tries to clarify what's going on, when he tries to comfort his friends about his departure, he says this, and this isn't just a promise to his disciples, this is a promise to you and I, and a promise in this season. Matter of fact, it's a promise in every season, rather good, bad, or somewhere in between. Jesus says this in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Come on. He's not just leaving peace. He's not just saying, here's, here's, here's peace, brothers. He's saying, my peace. The Son of God, the peace that I have. Now, if you think about this, and, and you kind of just go throughout the stories in the gospel of how Jesus was a peaceful dude, it begins to rattle you, okay? The dude was like, the personification of, like, peace. Like, I don't know anywhere, any other way to explain it. You think about the boat, right? We all know the story. It's been used a lot during COVID by many pastors. Don't know if it necessarily suffices, but it's been used a lot. But Jesus is in a boat with his friends, and that boat is in the middle of a storm. What's Jesus doing? What any peaceful dude would be doing? Sleeping. What a rock star. What? I'm jealous. Pretty peaceful. He gets off of that boat. He steps onto the shore. He's confronted by two men with demons. Not just a demon, demons. And, and they want to kill Jesus. Jesus is at peace. He casts those demons out. He doesn't deal with it. doesn't rattle them. Jesus, in the midst of crowds, guys, thousands of people who want to kill him, 
They cheered for him in the beginning. Towards the end, when he started clearly professing who he was, they wanted to take his life. And ultimately they did, to a degree. We all know he rose. They didn't win. But he stood and he declared faithfully and boldly with courage the truth in the face of thousands of people who wanted to take his life. That's peace. I can barely stand between two offended people and five people who are for me and preach boldly and confidently. I'm just being honest. But here Jesus, he keeps his peace. He laid his hands upon sick and diseased people. People with leprosy. And, 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 and his friend would be like, Jesus, what are you touching them for? What are you doing? Why, why, are you, why are you praying for them? Keep some distance, Jesus. Jesus did, and he goes right up to them and prays, and they're healed. That's peace. I, I don't know where I lie on that spectrum, but I, but I do see this as an opportunity. I see this season as an opportunity to grow in the character of Christ, grow with a sense of peace. That if surely Jesus is saying he's going to give me peace, but not just any peace, his peace, that's enough. Here it is. Jesus' peace is both, um, it's both significant and sufficient. Didn't the scripture declare? Didn't the scripture declare that, that, that he gives us peace that passes What? All understanding. That means you don't need to know the end from the beginning of what's going to happen. You don't have to have all the answers. And you can, you can be in the tension of all that and still be at peace. And still be assured that Jesus is for you, not against you, but that he's with you. And that he's keeping you and that he's fighting on our behalf as a church. And I believe Jesus is with us in this new season. Just like he was with us in the past seven months of trying to know, navigate excuse me, through the beginning of COVID. What am I trying to say here? Irregardless of what this next season looks like. We as a church collectively... need to operate and navigate through this season together um, in a spirit of peace. Not letting all the chatter of the outside world get into the way Christ is leading us and navigating us in this season. Sure, we listen. We believe that there's wisdom out there, but ultimately... There is a wisdom that is higher than the wisdom that you see on Fox News and CNN. Uh, the wisdom that comes from the CDC, it's great. But there is something that far supersedes that wisdom. And his name is God. And he is with you. He is for you and not against you. And so we need to go into this new season with that in mind. Not fearing the unknown. Realizing that it exists but we don't have to have all the under understanding of what is unknown in order to have peace. Are you tracking with me? I believe that if we could get above the noise and the chatter of our news feeds and the media outlets out there, election outcomes and pandemics, if we could silence all the other voices, friends, I believe we would hear God's voice saying, my peace I give to you. Fear not. I'm with you. Listen, those are words that I need in this season. 
Those are words that I believe we all need. And so my hope is that we can leave this place being fully assured that God is with us, not just with us in some kind of like, oh, where are you, God? But, but maybe a qualifying factor of God being with us is that we're administering just a little bit more peace in our lives. Maybe our marriages look a little bit less toxic and, and angry. Maybe, maybe a qualifying factor of God's peace being with you or Him being with you is that His peace abides over the tension and, and, and the toxicity in that marriage. Or, or maybe when the, the finances just aren't making sense. <laughs> They're just not making sense. And, and what usually maybe have rattled you in the past, God, how am I gonna get how am I gonna how am I gonna get there, God? How are we gonna pay that bill, God? Maybe instead of that, maybe a qualifying factor of God being with you is that there would be more peace in the midst of not having enough. Maybe with our kids, children, you know, we get short, we've been cooped up in our homes, you know, unable to send them off to school and just get out of my hair, you know. Maybe a qualifying factor of God being with us is that His peace resides just a little bit more in the family. Where we're not short with our children. I, I happen to believe that that's the way God manifests that He is with us. Maybe as a church, let's, let's, let's bring this into the corporate. Maybe in, in the world of our church, it's going to call or yeah, call you to be just a little bit more active and flexible. When there's so, when there's so many unknowns, maybe uh, you're going to have to kind of be flexible with us. Maybe you're going to have to serve a little bit more than, than what you used to. And maybe in the past that aggravated you. But maybe a qualifying factor of God being with you is that there's a little bit more peace, a little bit more understanding to say, God, they're doing their best, and I'm signing up. I'm ready to serve. I don't mean to yell. I'm sorry. It's just uh, come by it naturally, and we're a loud family. Just get, get excited about God. But I, but I think that this is the way that God being with us shows itself. I, I think that's what it is. I don't think it's like some mystery, like, God's right here next to me. No. He, he dwells in an approachable light. He's not right next to me. He's in me, transforming me, giving me things that I lack in my life, a peace that I lack, a comfort that I lack. He's giving me those things. That is God with me. Let's pray. Father, I've done my best, and now we look to you to do the rest. Holy Spirit, only you can come and throw water on the word. Throw water that causes these words to be fruitful in our lives. I pray, Lord, that this week there would be a marked difference in our families. I pray that there would be a marked difference in our relationships and our finances, the way that we look at life and, and the way that we see you being with us. Let it change. Let it, let it primarily manifest itself in a way where our flesh is touched by the God who is with us. Where, where our responses are touched. Where our sharp tongue is touched 
The way we handle our finances are changed. The, the way we talk to our spouses change. Maybe, maybe that's what really qualifies and kind of shows and reveals to us that God, surely, surely you are with us. Thank you for this time. We thank you for these people. Let them be blessed and touched and changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.